are you excited about this? This new... Well, you're... I'm very excited very about excited, it. Very excited, and I've heard nothing else now for the whole week. Yeah. Um, I suppose I've got to be excited, really. Well, I? I've tried to make it so that it's something you can get excited about, and it's a river. I do love me a river. And at some point, I think during the second episode, there's a boat. Yeah, I like a boat. So I've 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 done my you know audience research and I've I've tried to make it exactly what you'd like in a story. Uh, I'll give you a mark out of ten after the first episode. We'll see okay. what we're doing. Well, welcome to our new three-part mini-series entitled "Death and the Thames." Very good. Or if you're listening on Acast, this will be the omnibus. It would be the omnibus, yes. So we're going to look at all the various ways people have died at the Thames over the years. <laughs> We're going to start with we're going to start with over the Thames, then we're going to move on to on the Thames, and then our final episode will be in the Thames. So we're working our way down, not under the Thames, not under the Thames, in the Thames. Right. Okay. Doesn't scan as well as I would like, but okay, that's fine. I'm sorry we didn't workshop this before. No. This mulled wine is lovely, by the way. It is delicious. So let's start with a bit of background for anyone who doesn't know what the Thames is. It is. The... <laughs> well, we have an international audience we these do, days. We do, I suppose so. It's a bloody big river in London. That goes through London. Thank you. It is in I'm fact, sorry, is it not in it? The longest... I think it might be. No. Yes, it is. No, it it's, goes through it. it. It's not in it. It starts way over there. I'm not saying where it starts. I'm saying the river's in London. It goes through London. Right. Can a river any anyway be anywhere... It's a moving body of water. It's more of a, a concept than it is a real thing. It is the longest river that flows entirely in England. There is a longer river in Britain. Can you name it? The Loon. No. The Kent. No. That one we were near when we lived in Wiltshire. That seemed to go on forever. Which one was it? I haven't got a clue. That one, I, I literally crossed it every day and I still don't know what it no, was. Is it that one? River Seven. But that meanders its way in and out of Wales. I was going to say, that's, that's in Wales, isn't it? It's in Wales and England. All oh, right, okay. So that's the longest one. Anyway, the Thames itself is a stately 215 miles long. Mm. And as you've said, it also flows directly through the heart of the capital city of our great country, London. Ooh, Britannia. Yeah, and as a result, it has seen quite a lot of history. And probably a lot of dead floaty bodies because people like to throw stuff in it. And it's full of poo. We'll get to all. And of I that. know it's full of poo because I watched this thing on David Walliams swimming, swimming it, and he got like some horrible skin thing, and all his lips came off, and he had dysentery because he swam through poo. Well, people haven't described it as liquid shit. <laughs> However, former Battersea MP called John Burns it's Brown, when an American tried to compare the Thames to the Mississippi. In 1929, well, well, in 1929, he responded sarcastically with the withering put down, your river flows with water, whereas the Thames is liquid history. (laughs) History? History. Liquid history. I don't think we flush history, is Mm. all I'm saying. So, are you ready? Maybe we do. For three examples of this liquid history that we will talk about. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric. A podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with episode one. Yep. Death over the Thames. We're on bridges. There's a lot of them. Aha. Uh-huh. No, no, no. We're not on bridges. We're on bridge singular. Mm. Because London Bridge is falling down. Falling down. Falling down. London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady, or was it pushed? London Bridge yeah. is the single most disappointing bridge I think we have in England. Um, and everybody thinks it's the one with the pointy bits and that's not. That's Tower Bridge. No. London Bridge is boring and some American... No, London Bridge is not it. boring because today, today's London Bridge was built in the 70s. And you're right, it's a pretty uninspired Does concrete and steel lapels? affair. Uh, <laughs> and flares. I'll tell you what it does have. It has the A3. Oh. Uh, 
But, yeah, it's only one of a series of bridges that have mm. carried the name London Bridge that have all been built near enough in the same site, mm-hmm. okay? And the vast majority of these had a habit of falling down. Okay. Often with a little bit of help. So it was the Romans who first decided to build a bridge across the Thames to provide a shorter route from Kent to Colchester, which was where they put their capital at the time. In Uh, Colchester? Yep. Uh, The first wooden bridge was protected by a small garrison, and as these troops who were living, hanging out at a bridge... They needed goods and services, so two small settlements of enterprising Britons sprang up at either side of the bridge. These would eventually <laughs> amalgamate to form a little proto-London, so the north bit of it was known as Londinium, and the southern end of the bridge was what's now South- Southwark. 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 No. Southwark. God, I was trying to put you... the accent on it. Southwark. Yeah, okay. That's an awful... It's just as bad as a southerner doing a northern accent. It's just I terrible. I, I apologise to all of our friends in the south. Right. Unfortunately for these freshly minted Londoners, they had only had the town for about a decade before Boudicca arrived. Boudicca? Good old Boudicca, yeah. Boudicca. Uh, and she burned absolutely everything to the ground, including the bridge. She's possibly my favourite, apart from Sophia Julep Singh, mm. my favourite lady in history because she has the rage and boy do I have the rage so I kind of I, I, I identify with Boudicca and if you believe the Romans who wrote about her her army was mainly comprised of women mm. that the split angry, was angry yeah. angry women yeah <laughs> the split was very much more women in the front rank than it was male yeah well she burnt it down but it was the best place to build a bridge so after they put down Boudicca's rebellion, the Romans went ahead and rebuilt it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Romans left, however, because they got a bit sick and tired of trying to put down our rebellions and they had lots more pressing matters to deal with back over near Rome. On the continent. Yeah. Uh, London Bridge fell into disrepair and the Englishmen okay. of the Dark Ages, they didn't bother to fix it. And instead, they just shrugged the shoulders and went back to using the upstream fords that they'd been using since Neolithic times, mm-hmm. which added about... 15 miles to your journey. Mm. But this is the Dark Ages, so it's all about toil and depression. It's fine. Yeah. And dirt. Mm. Is it? Was it dirty? I imagine it'd be really dirty. I, and I'm, I, you I know think you're basing like. that heavily upon the fact that you've watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail. No, it just always... It always... Well, the roads weren't paved, um, aside from the Roman Could ones it, that they left us with. Now, to me, it always conjures up dirt. Dirty clothes traping through like dirty mud puddles and dirty shoes and poo dirty shoes yes that was the biggest worry the men of the dark ages had it was dirty shoes well then you bring it in your house joe and your house was didn't have a floor if you were poor it was just dirt that was inside it's just dirt again dirt layers and layers of dirt okay but we were starting to come out of the dark ages out of the dirt and it's going to be rebuilt but there's an argument about who it was that finally ordered the rebuilding of london bridge okay. it was either mm-hmm. alfred the great who's he alfred the great king of wessex no don't know never he heard was of him. great who united a lot of the tribes he was very um forward thinking in terms of military strategy in terms of how he uh, managed his estates in terms of how he looked after all the other nobles to keep him in check or it was ethelred the unready who you will remember from our very, very first set of episodes that me and Matt did. I have never listened to those, Joe. Okay. Well, knowing what I know about these two men, I'm going to say that Alfred was vastly more likely, based on his competence. Based on his name. Yeah. That being said, though, if it was Ethelred, he also immediately ordered for it to be torn down in 1014 in order to try and split the Danish forces he was losing a war to at the time. Well, that's not going to be him then, is it? What a waste of time and resources. That's exactly, yes. Because spending lots of money on a big infrastructure project, which immediately blows up in your face, is pretty much the calling card of Ethelred the Unready. Oh, well, it might be him then. He's the person who built a navy, gave a captain charge of it, and watched as that captain sailed away, never to return. Safe in the knowledge he had the only boats that were in Britain at the time. You'll know the next person to build it, though. After Ethelred possibly built and destroyed it, William the Conqueror. Right. He rebuilt it almost immediately after winning his little battle in 1066. Uh, oh, God. Is that the guy with the 
arrow in his eye. That's Harold. That's who he beat. Right, William okay. was the victor because it's very hard to build a bridge when you've only got one eye because yeah. of the depth perception. That story will haunt me my entire life. I know it will, but it's okay. I get so confused. Well, all you need to know is a Frenchman by the well, a Norman by the name of William, rebuilt the bridge. Okay. And unlike Ethelred, it actually outlasted him. He built it and it stayed stood for his entire life, and then it stood for another four years, until. Now you'll like this one. Blown away by a tornado. We don't get tornadoes in It England. was blown away by a tornado. Nah. Nah. Calling shenanigans on history there. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. Yep. Nah. We don't get hurricanes, tornadoes and that. It's a cursed bridge. It was blown away by a tornado. Look, if it's that cursed, it would have fallen down in the 80s. It was built in the 70s, Joe. It was built in the 70s. No, no, no. Not this one. No, I know. But what I'm saying is, if this bridge is cursed, is cursed, we'll get to the 80s. Thank oh you very much. God. You think it's not cursed? You just wait. Mm. So, it was built, it fell down because of tornado. No. And they rebuilt it. And then that replacement bridge was burned down in a fire. But they rebuilt it. Okay. Uh, and that bridge also fell down. So, we're about five bridges deep now, in terms of London Bridge's history. But then... At so. this point, mm. right, the bottom of the Thames is going to be so full of bridges, it's going to be built from the, from the riverbed up. Oh, don't worry. Because it then, flows all the bits of burnt rotten wood down and out into the estuary and you're fine. Oh, and they're then not going to be brick then. They're not brick built. Ones. Not to this point, but in 1176, King Henry II, he came up with a revolutionary idea. Maybe right. a stone bridge would not be so prone to being burnt down and natural disasters. It's only taken them five goes to figure that out. Yeah. Your brains are Britain there. Well, although it's a good idea in theory, it proved to be a logistical nightmare. And Old London Bridge, as it became known, mm. took 35 years to construct. Needing massive tax increases to fund, and it was immediately sold into private hands as the Crown couldn't afford the upkeep. It took 35 years to build it. I mean, you know when people make things look difficult? This is the the absolute antis- antithesis, is that the one? No, no the pinnacle. other one. Pinnacle of that phrase. Well, Making something look more difficult than it ever needs to. So they, they sold it to a private owner, essentially. And that private owner began very, very entrepreneurially... Uh, to sell plots on the bridge for people to build dwellings or shops. Well, was it, were people not, like, putting their little middle-aged cart? Yeah, middle-aged No, 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 these, were, these were sort of prefab things. They were hastily constructed buildings out of wood. Like in Perfume. What? In Perfume? I yeah, don't know. in the film. And then there's, like, that bridge and it's all full of shops and then it all falls in. Right. Possibly, yes. Loads of ram. If you imagine, it's just like a street. Yeah, it's like a shambles. Yeah, yeah, a bit like the shambles. Yeah. So, surprising no one, in 1212, only three years after the new stone bridge was finally completed, mm-hmm. a fire broke out. Well, oh, well, that'll all be gone then. Actually, I tell you a lie. Two fires broke out mm-hmm. simultaneously at either end of the bridge. Mm-hmm. At either end of the bridge. Two fires broke out simultaneously simultaneously at either end of the bridge. And you have no comment on that fact as to how unfortunate it was. Trapping hundreds of people in between two fires. I was was waiting for you to tell me who did it. Because that's just, that's not unlucky. Somebody's done that. This is 12-12. We don't have the records of who started the fire. It was probably just the fact that there were loads of people running loads of different kinds of shops Probably a lot of them oh involve indoor it's not, fires. It's not going to be like a, at one end there's like some blacksmith and the other end somebody's selling, I don't know, chestnuts. <laughs> Roasting on an open fire. Roasting on an open fire and somebody gets a bit hasty and knocks over the chestnut burner and it all just goes up. Well, either way, hundreds of people were trapped in the middle. All the buildings oh on the bridge burnt down. And the good people of London, they learnt their lesson. Uh-huh. And by 1358, there were at least 140 shops built along London Bridge. 
There were also... It's not that long. ...massive latrines that dropped directly into the river below, which must have been nice. Turdies. Well, people, it's still full of crap, as we've seen. David Walliams swimming through poo-poo. Well, the bridge then proved a very popular site for peasants to revolt. And the buildings were burned down again by Watt Tyler Mm -hmm. in 1381 and then again by Jack Cade in 1450. There were also major non-revolutionary fire that took place in 1633. Mm. Though happily, the gap it created was a natural fire break during the Great Fire of London in 1666. So the fact that they'd had a small fire you know, 30 years before, meant that there was a gap in the buildings big enough to contain the large fire. Well, yeah, I mean, they used that all the way around London, didn't they? Not just knocking down houses yeah, to try and just, create a fire break. Yeah. Well, this this one was just natural. Okay. And isn't that nice? It's the first time, you it's know... It's been useful. Yeah. Uh, the bridge could also provide gruesome spectacles in other ways. It's not just fires and burning bodies. The gaps between the arches that formed the bridge mm-hmm. were so narrow that the water flowing through was doing so under extreme pressure, leading to many an unwary ferryman being drowned attempted to sail under the bridge when the river was swollen, as the difference in water level from above the bridge to below the bridge could be up to 1.5 metres. So it essentially created these tiny super-powered waterfalls. Wow. And if you got sucked into it, you just get chucked down into where they built all the ballast and stuff and just churned up against those rocks mm. and killed. And they reckon that over 5,000 ferrymen and um, lightermen, who are the people who travel goods up and down, mm-hmm. uh, would have died over the 500 years that this bridge was... 600 years that this, this bridge was in place. At this point, as king, as mayor of London, mm. as figurehead of London whoever is in charge of there's always somebody in charge of London so whoever that person is would they not just look at the shitty little bridge and go it ain't worth it mate it ain't worth it knock it down build something better it wasn't a shitty little bridge it was really wide although it had been getting increasingly narrower and narrower as shops and stuff had been built so the the walkway was smaller and smaller but it, it was big enough that you could have housing on both sides it was massive it was also the only bridge in London why? Because if you it can was build the only one, bridge in London. It took build... 35 years and nearly bankrupted a king to build at the time. Yeah, but you said it stood for 500 years. So you're saying... 600. 600. Okay, so you're saying in 600 years they couldn't get the wherewithal... Because no king will have lived for 600 years. There's plenty other kings. Yes, there's plenty also plenty other of other rulers. things to pay for. What? The, the better transport... Mm. Isn't that... Isn't that still going on today? Better transport. Still not an issue, is it? You're getting angry about the weirdest part of this. London Bridge also housed the notorious Southern Gate, where, after William Wallace made an appearance in 1305... Who's he? William Wallace. And got clue. Braveheart. Mel Gibson's character. Oh, him with the blue head and the tartan skirt. I mean, yeah, it was complete anachronism in terms of, you know, the film that he made was terrible and wasn't I've never in seen any it. way reflective I've just of seen, British history. I've just but seen, yes, like, little clips of it. The Scottish revolutionary William Wallace. Right, OK. Uh, he made an appearance in 1305. It became the place that Londoners could see all the most famous traitors. Well, the heads, boiled in tar and stuck on a, on a pike. Very good. Up to 30 at a time, if it was a particularly treasonous mm-hmm. year. So as you went across the only bridge in London, mm-hmm. the only way for you to get from where you were to where you needed to be, mm. you may be presented with up to 30 slowly rotting heads on sticks. Well, that's a day out, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. full fun for all the family. Go for a wander down near your shops, your local shops with your kiddie wink in tow and have a look at the rotting heads. I mean, it's a full day out there. Yeah, you didn't need the London dungeon at that time. You didn't. Finally, as an unintended consequence of the bridge slowing the flow of water further upstream, London Bridge contributed to the formation of ice that allowed for the Thames frost fairs to take place during the mini ice age. Mm -hmm. This took place whenever it was deemed... I don't know who deemed it. Whenever it was deemed that the ice was thick enough. Oh, they'll have a bloke with a stick. You know, they'll have stolen him because we're good at that they'll have stolen him from i don't know well, some far off 
icy place away from his family, his friends, and his and be like, right, you, you, I'm going to keep you locked up. And when it when it's icy, you're going to have to go out there with your ice pick, and you're going to have to tell me if it's safe. That so we, we stole a Swede. I'm not and saying we kept a Swede. A Swede. I'm not saying a Swede. Bunker. It might be from Lapland. Well, it just seems like anyone can measure with a stick. Anyway, the final one of these took place as late as 1814. And it started, it in order to prove that the ice was thick enough, by them leading an elephant across the Thames. Which he did without falling in. So good for the elephant. Mm-hmm. However, the stallholders and revellers pushed their luck a little bit too far. And on the fifth day, mm-hmm. after a lot of rain and ominous creaking, the ice broke leading to half a dozen visitors disappearing into the icy water, never to be seen again. Okay. And we've not had one since. No. Well, it's not good. It's not good for morale, is Mm. it? Well, in part, it's because we've got a warming climate. We moved out of the mini ice age, but also because it was decided that a new London bridge was needed. The old one being so congested with buildings that the traffic was now single file in both directions, with the people of London being ordered by the mayor to stay on the left in order to try and stop blockages. Which is the origin of our driving laws of passing on the left? Very good. Yeah. So that started flying in the face of pretty much the entirety of the rest of the world. We will be on the wrong side of the road. Yes, but we decided this when it wasn't about driving a car. It was about trying to just get across a bloody bridge because at its most congested, it could take an hour to get across London Bridge. Well, I mean, what else have you got to do back in the day? You know, you're not going to get you got back. Put my teeth back in. You're not going to get back home for EastEnders, have you? You are one. The City of London had wanted to simply knock down all the housing and repair the bridge Mm. in order to make it a nice wide bridge again. Uh, But the temporary wooden bridge they had built to take the traffic while this works was happening, of course, burned down. Mm -hmm. Cursed bridge. When they did finally improve the bridge, they did so in a way that bits kept falling off and fatal accidents became too frequent for the people of London who began to demand a modern replacement for the 600-year-old structure. New London Bridge was completed in 1831, next to the old one, Mm -hmm. which was then dismantled. The New London Bridge lasted a fairly boring 136 years before it was noticed it was subsiding, quite alarmingly, and it needed replacing. However, amazingly, Mm. the City of London were able to sell it to Arizona in America. See, I didn't I mention that? I did did have a history knowledge, that was Mm -hmm. it. Where it now sits, New London Bridge, boring as ever, providing a crossing to an island in Lake Havasu in Arizona. Amazing. He totally thought he was buying Tower Bridge. I can't speak today. He may have thought that he was buying Tower Bridge. He definitely did, because when everybody says London Bridge, pretty Mm. much everybody who doesn't live in the UK Mm. thinks it's the great big fancy one that lets boats through, and it has the thing. And at the top of Tower Bridge, there's all those really fancy rooms that really, really posh and famous people with lots and lots of money can hire and they can have the best view of London. Mm. Is it the best view of London? Because then you can't see Tower Bridge, which is well, one of the landmarks. no, but you can look over um, Tower of London. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's quite close. Yeah, it's very close. So the new boring 70s bridge has been in place for 48 years so far. And despite a collision with a warship called HMS Jupiter in 1984, it has not yet fallen down. So when you're telling me it's not a curse bridge, it managed to have a collision with a warship. Well, it didn't move. What I would say was the ship created that. Yes, the bridge didn't move, did by, it? By that time, there were many other bridges. Many, many yes. other bridges. Yes, there is. And yet the warship still managed to find good old London Bridge to crash into, didn't it? Are you going to get me to name any of the other bridges? No. All right. Sadly, though... the Lambeth Bridge. Well done. (laughs) Sadly, though, the new London Bridge has also been the site of two terrorist attacks in 2017 Mm. and 2019, which resulted in five people dying on that span over the Thames. Yeah, that was really really awful. Mm. London Bridge was the only crossing point of the Thames in London until 1729. However, there are now 16 bridges south of Battersea. Mm -hmm. As a result, it is likely that London Bridge will remain the most historically significant and disaster-prone bridge in the UK. 
Yeah, well, it can. It, it's going to be, isn't it? If it was the only one in the capital, hmm. it's bound to be, because it's got no, you know, nobody else with, you know, none of the other bridges were sharing it, so it's bound to be the most, isn't it? Because it was the only one. That's pretty much the point I was making. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Hmm. And what I'm saying is now, unless something very, very surreal happens on Battersea Bridge. I think we're going to be okay. Mm. Uh, but you couldn't just die on a bridge. The other way to cross the river was, of course, by boat. And in the next episode of this miniseries, we will talk about just how dangerous that could be. Very good. Okay, you were going to say out of ten what you thought? I'm going to give it a six. You're, you're going to warm to your subject, though, darling. I can tell because the next one's a boat. Okay, I might like that one. Yeah. Is it a pulley boat? Is it a bloke on the embankment pulling, like with a winch? No. Oh, that's really upsetting. It's a paddle steamer. Even better. Okay, can we can we agree on a paddle steamer? Yes. Good. You want a cold gin and a warm mulled wine? That's the yeah. That's the way around. You want Not it? Not the other way around. You don't want a warm gin, no. Oh dear. Nobody likes warm gin, that's rank. So you've downed it. You're ready to do the second bit? Oh, I got. I was lucky, I got both cloves. Well done. Mm. Sup up the last of that mulled goodness. Mm. Ready. So. Are you going to better your six out of ten? Well, you weren't impressed by London Bridge, which is strange considering how long there's been a London Bridge, but we're talking about a river mm-hmm. and we're talking about boats. So are you ready? I am, and I'm slightly slightly more excited about this one because loves me a boat. Go on. For most of the 2,000-year history of London, the main way to get across the Thames was via boat. Mm -hmm. And for at least three quarters of that time, there was practically no oversight on how that could be achieved. Anyone with a vaguely watertight boat could seek a licence from the Crown and then transport people, goods, whatever they wanted, at whatever price they were able to barter. Very good. However, by Tudor times, competition has resulted in three classes of boat emerging with specific jobs. Yeah. You had, and I'm not mispronouncing this, wherries. For wares and Wherries. No, no, no. They were small boats that acted like river taxis. It was said that up to 2,000 of these would converge on the banks near the globe to transport people to and from performances. And these wherries were operated by a group of people who were collectively known as... Wherrymen. Watermen. Not wherrymen. No. Oh, Waterman. Then you had the Thames sailing barges, which were flat bottom boats used uh-huh. to transport goods up and down the river. Oh, yeah. You see those in uh, like wood cuttings. And... Yeah. And they'd yeah. also go a little ways around the coastline, you know, around Kent and that sort of way. Right. Uh, these were operated by the lightermen. Mm-hmm. And finally, you had the ferries, which were larger boats that would stop off at pre planned locations. You still get them. You do. But these were the three sort of categories that things have been sort of subsumed into. Mm-hmm. The situation was further clarified in 1555 by an act of parliament that set up an organisation to standardise tariffs and to try and reduce accidents on the river. Very good. This was to be staffed by eight senior watermen chosen by the mayor. And one of the first requirements that they came up with was that a prospective waterman would need to serve seven year apprenticeship in order to learn the river properly. OK. Because if London... And Londoners, like anything, it's a massively long apprenticeship to operate a taxi. Mm-hmm. As the knowledge, the knowledge still is to this day. Mm-hmm. And how anyone has ever passed the knowledge. <laughs> I doff my cap to those people yeah. because they are insanely smart in a very specific way. I just like to think that they're the, the type of people with photographic memories mm. and they're like a subsect of people. And I'm not, I'm not discrediting the, their knowledge and cleverness in any other way, but it seems very specific to be able to be a taxi person. I feel like you have to devote so much brain capacity to holding that knowledge yeah. that actually it wouldn't be surprising if you weren't particularly good at a pub quiz. Yeah, I'm just you know, yeah beyond streets of London. I mean, they might they might be. I don't like. I said. I mean, more power to them. More power to them. Yeah. And this is not a dig at London taxi drivers, London black cab drivers, because I I've been driven by some belting taxi drivers <laughs> when I was in London. Oh, God, yeah. Proper bants, loved it. Yeah. The watermen, though, 
they join with the light uh, the lightermen to form the company of watermen and lightermen in 1700 mm-hmm. crucially though the ferries were always a separate entity not so much regulation on those and by the 1800s with the advent of steam power Mm-hmm. They'd been owned by large corporations who value profit above all else and were willing to cut corners to achieve those big profits that they wanted. That was my big, my, that was my really big sigh. I may be setting the scene here. Yeah. So, in 1865, a new paddle steamer was built in Scotland and it was called Butte. Yeah. And it wasn't a whopper. It was only 432 tonnes. But... That's fine. It was only designed to carry a few passengers from Rothsay on the Isle of Bute to Wymus Bay. I don't even know where the Isle of Bute is. Uh, you know, um, you know where Glasgow is. Yeah. You know, there's the Clyde River. Yeah. As you get towards the Clyde Estuary, Bute is an island in the Clyde <laughs> Estuary. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, I was caught my breath. <coughs> So Butte is an island. In Do you know the what I was going? I was going to say, is it in Scotland? <laughs> it, because, yeah, because I was just like Butte isn't in London. No, this this was a Scottish ship yeah, built I'm in sorry. Scotland to right, take okay, Scots yeah, to a Scottish island. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the distance was only about seven and a half miles. Okay, not so far. you can you can see the island. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine. Then the Butte was bought by a company in London who renamed it the rather more. Um, I don't know whether I want to say regal or I want to say, um, you know, pompous. Um, they renamed it the SS Princess Alice. What a twatty name. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they had it sailing from London Bridge to Sheerness in Kent, which was a journey of about 40 miles or over five times the distance the ship had been sailing before. Right. So it's not up to the job then, is it? Well, they also increased the amount of passengers right, so because they wanted to make profit. Definitely not up um, to the job then. So the SS Princess Alice could apparently take at any given time 936 passengers. And I feel like they used the random number to make it look like they've been very specific about things. Yeah, that's like when you're a kid and you're supposed to do like a tally chart for something. Mm. And instead of actually doing it properly... Like, I did geography, as a lot of people know. And we had to go to Ormskirk. This is this is truth. Where I did my uni course. Where you yeah. did your uni course. Um, I had to go to Ormskirk. And this is no word of a lie. I had to count cars for two hours. See, I did a similar thing in secondary school. And I sat at my window with Martin Sullivan, who was in my class. And we counted and tallied the different makes of car. What what subject was that for? That was maths. We were doing um, statistical analysis and it was just like, well, okay, we're going right, to okay, randomly well this, sample. This was, this was to kind of, uh, oh my God, is this GDP? Or something like that. We were, we were tallying essentially all, all sorts of different economic things within an area and one of them was cars and how many people passed through Ormskirk. And I remember sat with my friend Simon at the time and um, we just we just made it up. Well, it's one of the main... We sat you've got to and we go ate through sausage Ormskirk. rolls and donuts and we just made it up. You've got to go through Ormskirk to get to the M58 because the good people of Ormskirk can never agree on whether the bypass should go to the north or to the south of Ormskirk. So it always happens that somebody is objecting so you continue to have to drive through Ormskirk. It must yeah. be massive, the amount of cars going through there. We're getting off topic. We are getting off topic, but what I'm saying is... Yeah. Since the dawn of time, man has been making up figures because they just couldn't be bothered to yeah, do. If they said if they said nine hundred, they'd have gone. Well, ah, you're just yeah, guesstimating. No, no, no. But they just went guesstimating it. Nine hundred thirty-six. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the key. And what I'm trying to make make my point, if I'm making a point, because I'm waffling now. But you, you kind of just you pick a number that's not quite rounded. Mm. You just make that up. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the key. Whereas true true random sets of numbers have you know repetition in them that's where kids go wrong quite a lot they do anyway it was significantly more passengers than had been ferried across the firth of clyde at any one time we know that for definite so it vastly increased but there was no need to worry as the woolwich steam packet company who'd been the uh, company who bought the newly minted ss princess alice yeah uh, they'd decided the best way to deal with this was to install new boilers to help the ship lug lug along the increased weight 
the further distance. So everything was going to be fine. Yeah, but that's that's still not sorting out the ballast, is it? Or the capacity? It's got bigger boilers. It's fine. It's it's not. Because that's that's adding even more weight. I'm sure it's going to be fine. It's, it's fine. This is just a story about a boat that continued to work for 150 years without any incidents whatsoever. No, not having it. Uh, well, it was fine for the first eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the steamer, it also gained a little notoriety for being used to transport the Shah of Persia during a state visit, with some locals referring to it from that point on as the Shah's boat. Very nice. Mm. Then, on September 3rd... Mm-hmm. 1878, the SS Princess Alice was making a special moonlight trip to the Rocheville Pleasure Gardens in Kent, which I believe, from what I could read, was where you went if you wanted to do your uptight Victorian facsimile of flirting. Uh, so This sounds horrendous. So... If you wanted to meet your gentleman's suitor, you would put on your finest petticoats. At pay midnight! A sh- pay a shilling, moonlight. Pay a shilling, you go down to the... Um, Pleasure Gardens, the Rocheville Pleasure, pleasure Gardens. Pleasure Gardens. Yeah. This is Shagging in the Bushes, Joe. No, no. Yes, it is. It's Victorian Shagging in the Bushes. Well, it's the Victorian version of Shagging in the Bushes, but I'm sure it was, um, you know, Ow. just holding hands. I'm outraged. Ha- holding an ungloved hand. <laughs> oh. Well, however you but, get yours. I mean, I'm just I'm just guessing that's what it was. Definitely was. But whatever the reason for pleasure its popularity, gardens. these these Pleasure Gardens... <laughs> Uh, people have been sailing to the gardens throughout the day, despite it being a Tuesday. So they obviously had nothing better to do than to go get their flirt on down some gardens in Kent. Definitely uh, some nefarious dealings. Well, there have been so many nefarious dealings that on her final return journey at 6.30 in the evening, the Princess Alice was packed out. No one was recording the details of passenger numbers, so it was very possible that the 936 person limit, the very scientifically arrived at limit, <laughs> uh, was reached, if not breached, before Probably. they set out again for central London. Uh-huh. At the exact same time, a coal ship called the SS Bywell Castle was setting off from Millwall, uh-huh. which is further up the Thames, yeah. uh, having just rece- received a shiny new paint job. The Bywell was used to taking coal from Newcastle to Africa and was a massive 1,376 tonnes. It was also significantly longer and wider than the ferries that plied their trade on the Thames. Mm -hmm. The captain of the Bywell was Thomas Harrison, and aware of the fact that he wasn't used to sailing the Thames, he decided to employ an experienced river pilot called Christopher Dix. Mm -hmm. But from this point on, we will refer to him as Chrissy D. (laughs) Okay. For no other reason than I quite like Chrissy D, okay. which was a very sensible choice by Captain Harrison. He realised he didn't have the experience, so he found someone who did mm-hmm. and employed them to help make up for his own deficit. So very sensible captain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the captain of the Princess Alice... Isn't sensible. William Grinstead, I leave it to you to decide. He had agreed that his own experienced helmsman, which for any non-nautical people is the bloke who steers the damn boat could stay at the pleasure gardens as they have found a passenger called john ayres who was a sailor never mind that he had never steered a paddle steamer or that he was unfamiliar with the thames being as he was a seafaring gentleman oh my god he'd said he could do it you know the helmsman had been really really insistent that he wanted to go down the pleasure gardens for an Um, hour or two see this i'm not being funny right this sounds like the Dirtiest, muckiest gardens. If I told you it was built in an old quarry. Oh my God. Would that, would that help? Oh, behind a bike sheds. Oh. I think, are we still, I think we're still pre-bicycles um, being readily available oh. here. So anyway, back to the Bywell. Right. Our man Chrissy D, the river pilot, he'd noticed he had an obstructive view over the forecastle. So he sensibly asked that a sailor be posted there to act as a lookout. So they've noticed another problem that might cause an issue and they have rectified it quickly and mm-hmm. efficiently. Now, bit of a maths question for you. 
Oh no, my worst subject. If a massive seagoing ship proceeds down the Thames from Millwall at five knots, setting off at 6.30pm, while a small passenger ferry sets off up the Thames from Rocheville Pleasure Gardens at three knots, also setting off at 6.30pm, where will the two vessels meet? London Bridge. Oh, a good guess. But no, the answer is an area of the river called Galleon's Reach. Okay. And crucially, they met at 7.45pm, which was about three minutes after sunset. Right. At this point in the river, the ferries would always keep to the north side, where it was calmest. And Chrissy D, who's sailing the Bywell, uh-huh. being an experienced waterman of the Thames, he knew <coughs> this. The random sailor... At the helm of the Princess Alice, however, didn't. He was sailing in the middle of the river and decided at the last minute to try and move towards the south bank rather than the north. Oh, my God. The exact opposite of what Chrissy D would have expected him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the delay in realising this due to the darkness meant that there was little that Chrissy D could do to prevent oh, a collision. Chrissy D. So essentially, this boat full of passengers decided to cut across... Cut him up. He cut him up. Yeah. He cut him up on the Thames. Chrissy, Chrissy did all he could, though. He oh. threw the engine into reverse and tried to take evasive manoeuvres. Mm-hmm. Captain Grinstead on the SS Alice could be heard shouting. Ready? Mm-hmm. I'll do it from. Where are you coming to? Good God! Where are you coming to? <laughs> Completely ignoring the fact that his boat was the one in the wrong place. Oh my God. Then the inevitable collision occurred. Yeah. The Bywell, being over four times heavier, smashed the Alice into three separate pieces. The front... With all those shagged out people on it. The front bit... Oh, God. The back bit and the two new boilers which promptly fell off. The ferry sank completely within five minutes. Wow. And of the nearly 1,000 passengers, it is estimated that between 600 and 700 drowned. Because they were wearing their best Victorian flirting clothes, yeah. which were heavy buggers. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of people couldn't swim at that time. Yeah, well, no. Even mm. worse, though, mm. Galleon's Reach, the area where the collision took place, was also where the sewage pumping stations for London were situated. <laughs> and so they one, died in poo! One of the twice <laughs> daily... Re- <laughs> one of the twice daily releases of raw sewage, because it wasn't just always flowing out, it'd be released <laughs> twice a day. It happened an hour before... Oh, mate. Would you like a description of no. what of what the um, oh. sluicing of the um, big water sewage treatment works was like from, no. from someone who watched it? Oh. Two continuous columns of decomposed fermenting sewage hissing like soda water with baneful gases, so black that the water is stained for miles and discharging a corrupt charnel house odour that will be remembered by all as particularly depressing and sickening. So of those who were lucky enough to be pulled from the foul waters by the crew of the Bywell, many died as a result of ingesting the toxic slop. Oh my God, even the water had skiddies. Well, in order to try and retrieve all the dead bodies, watermen were paid £2 a day to search the river and received an extra five shillings for each body that they pulled out, which, because this is London... Uh, led to fights over corpses, made even more horrific by the fact that the bacteria-ridden waters caused very rapid decomposition occurring. Oh, mate. And reports from the watermen who were fishing them out that they were covered in a slime that couldn't be washed off. One such body pulled from the Thames was Captain Grinstead. The inquiry that took place afterwards found both ships to be at fault, which seems odd, as it also specifically stated that, one... The Alice did not have sufficient crew. No. Two, the Alice had more passengers on board than was safe. Mm-hmm. Three, the Alice had insufficient life-saving gear on board. And four, it is accepted practice that two ships approaching each other should pass on the port side, which the Alice did not do. Yeah, you pass port to port, everybody yeah. knows that. Well, this sailor didn't. The disaster remains the worst inland waterway shipping accident in British history. That is rank. The Bywell was eventually exonerated of all blame by a Board of Trade inquiry and continued to ship coal between Britain and Egypt until 1883 when she was lost with all hands. 
That's a shame. But that is a rank story. You think that's a rank story? <sighs> well, I'll tell you what. If you think that was rank, buckle in for episode three. Does it involve poo? Oh, does it involve poo? Okay. <laughs> when um, we cover death in the Thames. Oh, it's got to involve poo. It will involve poo, and I'm so excited. <laughs> So, are you ready to complete our triad of Thames-based stories? With somewhat trepidation. Is it the fact I mentioned poo? <sighs> and then it's going to be poo heavy. It's facilities, Joe. Facilities. Well, we've, we've done over the Thames with London Bridge. Mm-hmm. We've done on the Thames with the SS Princess Alice. So finally, to tie up this in a nice neat bow... Let's take a look at the monster that used to lurk in the Thames. I just imagine it to be a massive poo. Just one big poo. As the Industrial Revolution took hold, the population of London exploded from one million to three million. Unfortunately, this did not allow time to adapt the infrastructure that was already falling apart. Mm -hmm. One area that needed a major overhaul was the sewage system as most waste was being dumped untreated directly into the Thames. This, of course, included poo and wee, but also industrial runoff, waste from slaughterhouses, and whatever other rubbish was being produced by the population. Yeah, well, I mean, famously and pretty much, you know, every narrative, whether it be based in history or based completely in fiction, if it's in London people are going to dispose of it in the Thames. Mm. That's just how it is. I mean, even like Terry Pratchett, you can say Ankh-Mort Pork is... Based on based London. Based on London. And the river's so thick the, you can walk on it. Yeah, yeah, I mean... That is directly taken from this point in London's history. <laughs> so it all combined together to make a kind of toxic slurry uh, that flowed out into the English Channel. Poo soup. Sewers had been constructed in the preceding years, but they were in no way standardised, and some still relied in part on wooden water pipes that had been built in medieval times. Wooden? It was medieval times. They didn't have concrete. I don't even know how that worked. They mm. mustn't even have even been round. I have no idea. But not surprisingly, the river began to smell. It still does. Badly. What do you mean, started? It reeks. It was concerning to the Victorians as they still mainly believed in the miasma theory of disease or the vapours, as an effeminate southern gentleman from America might call it. Uh, Basically, the miasma theory was that diseases were caused by foul smells. Well, I mean, they're not 100% wrong, are they? We know it's not true nowadays, but it seemed to be proven on three separate occasions by major outbreaks of cholera in 1831. I mean, if it smells bad, don't drink it. You know what I mean? It's so no. they're not they're not a million miles off it. Well, in 1831, mm. six and a half thousand Londoners died of cholera. Mm-hmm. In 1848, it was nearly fifteen thousand. Oh, then, only four years later, in 1853, a further ten thousand died of the disease. Mm. The third outbreak was the one which led Doctor John Snow to suggest that cholera was a waterborne illness after identifying the source of the outbreak as a single water pump in Soho. Mm-hmm. To test his theory, and I love this, he just took the handle off the pump. And there was a significant reduction in the number of deaths. Smart man. Yeah, in spite of this, miasma would be accepted as wrong only about a decade after Dr. Snow died. So he came up with the theory, Mm -hmm. tested it, appeared to prove it, and a lot of the learned men in London just went, no, no, thank no. But if you still believed in the miasma theory or not, the officials of London could all agree something needed to be done. Mm -hmm. The Metropolitan Commission of Sewers had been starting the process in 1844 by ensuring that all new buildings were connected directly to the sewer system rather than to cesspools, as there were thousands of cesspools around London that would often overflow. Oh, God. Yeah, fill in the streets as they made their merry way down to the Thames. I mean, why anybody ever wanted to go there? Mm. Why? Paved with gold? Paved with shit? Well, God damn. In 1849, the Metropolitan Commission of Sewers set civil engineer Frank Foster the task of completely redesigning the sewer system. An incredibly stressful task. 
Yes. So he got himself an assistant called Joseph Basil Get. <laughs> Get. <laughs> um, it's either Basil Get or Basil Get. Let me have a look. Basil Get. I can't even read that. I got it. No, me, I say Basil Get. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with the posher one. It's either Joseph Basil Get. No, it's Basil. Oh, it's Joseph Basil Get. Right. Okay. So he got himself an assistant called Joseph Baselgett, based on a recommendation from Isambard Kingdom Brunel, no Ooh, less. Oh, the man with the chains. Oh, yeah. However, Joseph was returning to work after a long period of stress-related illness. So, touch and go. <sighs> yeah. Good old Joe. Either way, the two got to work trying to redesign a sewer system able to cope with over three million people mm-hmm. from scratch, essentially. There was a bit of a wrinkle in 1852 when Frank Foster died due to stress. Um, but Joseph Baselgett, he carried on. He had his task and he was going to stick to it. And he was determined to improve the living conditions of his fellow Londoners, even if it meant his own stress-related death. Mm. He submitted detailed plans in 1856 with a proposed total cost of £2.4 million and was immediately shot down, shot down by his superiors. They didn't like the plans. No. He went away, he made adjustments, and he resubmitted his plans in 1857, having mm-hmm. taken into account all of the concerns that his bosses had. Mm-hmm. And his bosses liked those plans, so they were passed up the line, where they were again rejected. Aww. Though this time, with suggested changes which would increase the cost to £5 million. Okay. Then, finally, in February 1858, there was a change of government and the whole idea was shelved. And it may have been that Joseph's plans would have remained unrealised if not for the heat wave that started in June 1858. With average temperatures in the 30s and the high 30s at that, the river began to smell like never before. Do we have a conversion for our American followers? I do not. That is not Bloody hot. Yeah. The kind of of heat that makes English men go red-faced... And start drinking lager like there's no tomorrow in string vests. Yeah. It's that kind of heat. Okay. The, the one that makes us wear incredibly, almost obscenely short shorts. Yeah. Little handkerchief on yeah. the top of the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, but as the heat wave dragged on, the lack of rain led to the water level in the Thames getting lower and lower, which exposed a foreshore that was up to six foot deep in raw, solidified sewage. Oh, my actual gentle Jesus. Charles Dickens himself confirmed to a friend that, when he'd gone for a quick look, the offensive smells, even in that short whiff, have been of a most head-and-stomach-distending nature. Had a way with words, didn't he, Dicky? It was ordered that lime oh. be spread at the sewage outlets to try and mask the smell but it was like putting a small bowl of potpourri at the door of a Glastonbury Festival toilet on day three. Oh, my God. And the people of London, understandably, demanded a better response. Yep. Especially as the unsuccessful lime spreading was costing £1,500 oh my God, per I'd day have to, to implement. I, Joe, we would be uprooting, we'd be off up the bloody M6, we'd be going north because... Are you, a, are you a member of the government? Because that's exactly what the government had done. They had abandoned the Houses of Parliament. Yeah, I, honest to God, I would have been up that M6. Like, no, grim, 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 grim. Mm. So eventually, the new government were forced to accept they would need a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. And they allocated three million to the construction of a new sewer system for the city. Mm. If only they, they knew someone with plans that were you know ready to go oh yeah plans that were just boom and that came under budget so joseph basilgate 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 joseph i'm never going to get that name right basilgate joseph basilgate 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 joseph basilgate god poor man joey b Yeah, Joey, that's it. Joey B. Joey B got to work on over 1,100 miles of streets. Oh. I can't even say street sewers now. Street sewers. Joey B got to work on over 1,100 miles of street sewers connected to 82 miles of main sewers. Mm-hmm. Starting with the sewers on the south side of the river where the population was smaller. That's mm-hmm. kind of a practice run. Yeah. He was obsessed with the idea of future proof in his new system and would test small amounts of each batch of cement sending back any batch that was not up to his standard. Mm -hmm. He also checked every connection in his new system personally 
and this numbered in the tens of thousands. What a blow. So every single junction in the sewer system he had personally decided was up to the task. Amazing. There was a slight overspend on the original budget, but that was only because Joey B was determined to keep his own high standards, stating, well, we're only going to do this once, and there's always the unforeseen. As a result, when assessing what size pipe he would need for any section, he would take the highest estimate for population in the local area Mm -hmm. and allow for the highest estimate of waste produced by each person, which would allow him to calculate the diameter. Okay. Then he'd double it. Very good. Hmm. And despite the overspend, the public were very supportive of this man, um, I bet they were. It was described by the newspapers as the most expensive and wonderful work of modern times. Oh. London-based newspaper, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. The last of the pumping stations at Chelsea Embankment was completed in 1875, and each of these stations was a beautiful building in its own right. Uh-huh. The steam engines housed in them were named after Queen Victoria and her family. Such was the prestige of this feat of civil engineering. Queen Victoria was flattered to have a pumping station engine for raw sewage named after her. Wow. I mean, This may honest... have been due to the fact that when the Great Stink was happening, she'd made an ill-advised decision that she was going to go on a little um, boating trip down the Thames with uh, Albert. Oh and the two God. of them apparently lasted about a minute and a half before they demanded they were taken back to shore so what? that they could run. Oh, my God. So, fair enough. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Although sewage treatment plants were added later, as a result of a disaster involving a, a boat, you've probably never heard of it, the SS Princess Alice, mm-hmm. uh, the entire system remains virtually unchanged over 150 years after it was first mapped out by Bezelget. Mm-hmm. Uh, his future proofing means that his system is now coping with a population more than double what it was when he finished it. And it's still working, aside from the occasional fatberg. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fine. Not surprisingly, Joey B was knighted for his heroic work. Good. And although wrong about the cause of the illness, the miasma theory, Mm. his work did eradicate cholera from the city as well as significantly reducing incidents of typhoid. He has a monument on Victoria Embankment, which he also designed, Mm -hmm. because why not? And bringing us back full circle, he also designed both Hammersmith and Battersea Bridge, which are still both providing a means of crossing the Thames today been on Hammersmith Bridge. Well, there you go. You've been on Joseph's Bridge. Wow. And as a fun, and I, I told you about the fun final bonus fact. Go on. Joseph's great-great-grandson, Edward Basilgate, 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 whatever you want to call him, he is a TV director who has directed episodes of Doctor Who and The Last Kingdom. But in a previous life, in the 80s, he was a pop star who enjoyed a number one hit with Turning Japanese. Doing Japanese, I think I'm doing As the Japanese, guitarist of a band called... I haven't got a clue. The Vapors. Was which it? Which is either a nod to his family history or an uncanny coincidence. Oh, it's got to be a nod. It's yeah. got to be a nod. And that concludes our little excursion into some of the many things that make the Thames not just a river, but liquid history. Oh. Though sometimes not quite as liquid as maybe it should have been. Oh. Poop. Poop. There was poo in it. Yeah. So, third episode. How how do you feel that one was? Well, I mean, (laughs) I score the middle one was a good solid nine out of ten. Bringing it up from a six to a nine. There, I'm going to have to dock a point from the final one because poop. Yeah. Lack of facilities. I mean, it is amazing that that man created that. And he's mainly, he's he's forgotten, despite the fact that in terms of civil engineering, his feet, oh I mean, God. I can't even pronounce his name properly, but his no. feet of civil engineering is something that is insane, that you could create yes. a sewerage system that would deal with modern day London. My My only pop culture reference to his works is in Ashes to Ashes Mm. where they go down the wrong sewage pipe and instead of 96 they go down 69 Mm. and they get covered in poo yeah that's that's literally like my only well that that would have been something designed yeah well it's it's kind of like if I remember it rightly and it obviously it will have been a tv set but 
it was like brick, mm. like a brick built thing with like a channel down the middle and that. But it was obviously, it was big enough mm. to walk down. So yeah, that's, that's it. But oh my God. <sighs> yeah. As someone who lives with IBD, and if you don't know what that is, Google it because I am not going to describe it right now. Um, the idea of lack of facilities and that amount of poo knocks me completely green. It's fairly gross. So I have to dock it a point. I have to, for, for the nauseating well, you've not, sensation. You've not given us the overall. Okay, so the overall total. Is. <laughs> I'm tense and nervous for your arbitrary scoring system. No, I think I'm going to keep it as an eight. Oh, okay. Eight out of ten for this series, Joe. Eight out of ten. Oh, My favourite, of course, is the lock line, so that's a solid ten mm. out of for pure boat. Yeah. I only got one boat in this one, so I can understand. Yeah. Although I did get two sinkings and 5,000 dead watermen. That was just really sad. Oh. And there was it's... too much poo. Yeah. 